following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Well, I'm sure all of you probably had a fascinating week that you probably would look forward to uh, not repeating, some of you at least, and uh, that probably is one of those kinds of weeks for me, if you can probably guess that by some of the pictures that I called up on my Google search. When I was thinking about images, I uh, typed in a word, and this is one of the the pictures that came up. So here I'm thinking that when I uh, consider the whole idea of what confrontation is all about, you would think that in Christian circles, this would be an easy prospect. But sometimes it's uh, one of those demanding things that require just the ability for someone to maintain themselves in in an interactive relationship with someone. But sometimes there are just issues where responsibility calls for all of us who have broad shoulders because of what God has called us to do, that we have to see someone eye to eye, face to face, because something needs to be corrected. And when we think about those possibilities or facing something that's not people-oriented, but circumstantially oriented, and figure we've got to solve this problem. You've got to come face-to-face and square off with something that is extremely difficult. And you've probably heard all those kinds of lessons, just like I have, as we constantly study how in the world do you deal with massive challenges and difficult people and difficult situations with difficult people. We always ask that question, well, is it necessary for this confrontation? Is it something where my relationship with that person has to be reevaluated? Is it possible for me to remain emotionally detached and highly objective? Do I have specific goals that I have in mind when this face-to-face, nose-to-nose encounter occurs? And oftentimes it is not pleasant, and oftentimes it doesn't seem to reflect the kind of relationship that someone should have with Jesus Christ, especially in a Christian institution. But nevertheless, they are realities. Sometimes because it's not just with living human beings, but sometimes with circumstances. Uh, this this picture came up from uh, in South Southeast Asia, where this group of people are constantly fishing these very dangerous rapids and waterfalls. And this is the only means that they have to get from the shore to the islands and to the different rocks where they can get out to where the fish are. They've got one rope to walk on and one rope to hold on to. And this is a ten year old boy doing this. He's learning this very early. But because they're so skilled at this, and because they do this all the time, they see it, and they're not afraid of it. In fact, when the reporter was asking them, aren't you guys afraid of how dangerous this is? They, they just shrugged their shoulders, like, what are you talking about? This is life for them, to face circumstances that are absolutely overwhelming and incredibly dangerous. So sometimes when we have to confront some kind of danger, some kind of immense difficulty, it's probably one of those kinds of issues where we're thinking to ourselves, It's not so much about the task that we're facing or not so much about who or what we have to somehow now come face to face with, but sometimes it's a doubting of our own ability and our stature to manage what's necessary. So this picture came up. Sometimes we feel incredibly vulnerable. Sometimes we feel like we just are afraid when we see what we have to face and we know what our capabilities might be. So somewhere along the line, some of us this week, as we engage the lives of people in the next seven days before we meet again, you may have to face some difficult people. You may have to face some difficult circumstances. But that facing off must be encountered. There's no way to put it off. Responsible, good leaders, people who make an impact, people who want to get ahead, people who want to move forward, cannot procrastinate when they know 
It's necessary to face something difficult. What will we do in our spirit and our heart as men who want to make an impact in our community and among the people that we live? How in the world do we deal with such situations like this? We know they have to be done. No one else can do it. We can't pass it off. It can't be delegated. It falls on our shoulders. So somewhere along the line, standing up and being encouraged by the presence of God because he has placed us where he has, where we are, and knowing that he has placed us where we are, do we have that certainty of that strong relationship with him so that we can enter into whatever challenges that we might be facing? That, to me, is what the conclusion is of what this passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying about this morning is all about. Here it is, Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. This is what the Scripture says. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is, to me, a fascinating passage of Scripture as we think about the context from which all of this uh, particular event is now occurring. In these uh, three verses here, it's fascinating to me because it's sort of dumped into this process of an amazing adventure that we are suddenly expecting this massive war to take place. But God takes a pause and steps back from the big picture to encounter and engage the one man that he is called to face the difficulty that lay ahead. This is a private encounter in anticipation of a great public event. Now, some of us are looking at a situation perhaps that you're in, and I don't know all the details of where you guys are coming from or what you're doing, but sometimes you feel a little bit overwhelmed. Why can't I ever get a break? And why is it difficulty always fall on my plate? Why do I always have to face these challenging, difficult people? Why in the world can't I ever start to see things moving in a positive direction? I think we all understand that. It's kind of like the woman who who felt that way. She was uh, in her senior years, and her husband had turned in quite a grouch over the last several decades. He never said anything nice. He was always mean and crotchety. She was standing in front of the mirror one day as they were getting ready to do their, their snowbird thing south from Michigan to Florida. And as she stood in front of the mirror, she just got so discouraged, and she just said out loud, Oh, I look so awful. I'm so old, my hair's gray, and I don't have as much hair as I used to. I'm all, all wrinkly, I'm sagging everywhere. And she, she turns to her husband and says, can't you say anything to encourage me? And so he looks over there in his grouchy, crotchety way that he's been kind of entertaining himself. He says, well, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. <laughs> so it's that kind of discouragement that she's always going through. And she's thinking to herself, oh my goodness, why couldn't I marry some gracious guy who's encouraged me during my latter years? And so they're driving down on the interstate and they're heading toward Florida and they leave Michigan and they get to Ohio and he pulls over really abruptly, and she looks over kind of startled, and he jumps out of the car, and he says, you drive. And she slips over and says, wonder what in the world's going on. He gets in the passenger side shotgun, and she says, well, what's wrong? He says, oh, the battery in my hearing aid's gone out. So he's pulling it out, he says, drive. And so she's driving down the freeway, and he's trying to disassemble his hearing aid and try to put a new battery in, and parts are falling all over, and he's getting angry, he's getting upset. And all of a sudden, she starts pulling over. He says, what are you pulling over for? And 
and she points to the in the rear, and he turns around, and there's a state police from Ohio that's uh, got its lights on, and so she's pulling over, and he starts laughing. He says, well, you're in for it now. And so he tries to pick up all the pieces that have fallen up, and he looks up, and the officer gets out of the patrol car, and he starts laughing, and he says, well, it's a woman. You're really in for it now. And so the lady officer comes up, and the wife grinds down the window, and the officer says, uh, uh, driver's license and registration and proof of insurance, please. And the husband says, what? What did she say? And the wife says, it's okay, honey. She just asked for my license, registration, and proof. And Oh, okay. So she gives them all, the officer, all this, these items. And the officer looks at the information and says, oh, you're from Michigan. And the husband says, hey, what did she say? And the wife says, it's okay, honey. She just noticed that we're from Michigan. And then the police officer says, I've only been in Michigan once. It was for a blind date with the ugliest guy I've ever seen in my life. And the husband says, hey, what did she say? And the wife says, it's okay, dear. She says that she thinks she knows you. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in a difficult situation. You just wish. that you, you just Somehow you can give back a little bit just to get some satisfaction that life isn't always difficult against you. Well, I wonder sometimes how Joshua was feeling through this whole process as he goes through these three verses. He's, he's facing a people that had come from a generation that gave Moses a hard time, complaining about this, fussing about that. God gives them the miracle of manna, and they fuss about that. God gives them some quail, and they fuss about that. God gives them some miraculous water, and they fuss about that. And they're always blaming Moses. Joshua's thinking, man, here, here God has just given us this great miracle, crossing the River Jordan, but now, now we're facing our first great obstacle where I am leading the people. I wonder how in the world this is going to come about. So through this process, that's how I see Joshua going through this verse here in chapter 5 and verse 13. When the scripture tells us that Joshua is out there near Jericho, it's something that many people would probably read through Joshua 5 and skip over this real quickly, but all of us who are men with huge responsibilities, when we see this, we know exactly what Joshua's thinking. He's standing there alone. He knows that the battle's coming. He knows he's going to have to tell the people, charge. So he takes that moment as a lonely leader that everyone else knows, every preacher who knows it, before they get up and preach. Every time you make a major decision, you know that you've got that aloneness as a person responsible to guide, direct, and give suggestions. So Joshua's out here standing by himself, looking at these great walls of Jericho. The walls with a formidable presence that everybody in the Middle East knew. Jericho is one of the most formidable, fortified cities in the entire region. Withstanding massive attacks from people groups that were skilled with warfare. And he thought about all of those attacks against Jericho, that they withstood all those attacks. And here he comes with a ragtag group of people who've given themselves to sword and to spear and to maybe bow and arrow, but they have no rampart, no way to, to, to scale the ramparts. They have, they have no battering rams. They have no great machinery in order to knock down these walls. They have nothing as, as far as massive sense of armament to take, to take Jericho. Joshua's not afraid. He's just wondering. He's contemplating. How in the world are we going to do this? This is what God wants us to do. I'm sure of that. But how in the world are we going to accomplish that? Right in the middle of this contemplation, he is surprised because he sees a man standing in front of him 
with a sword drawn. Suddenly his whole mindset changes. Joshua was a warrior at heart. If he was contemplating leadership challenges, that has now disappeared because now there is a possible threat staring at him in the face. And he challenges this threat and he asks this very simple question, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? I love this part about Joshua because there was no hesitation. He didn't stand back with shock and fall back. He, he immediately challenged the problem. He immediately saw the potential of the threat. He didn't put it off because whenever we procrastinate on difficulties that we sense as a leader might be a threat to whatever it is that we're leading, it never gets better. You always have to tackle it at the time when God has given to us instincts with regard to those kinds of responsibilities. Joshua is doing that right before our very eyes. And as Joshua goes through all this process, God does something amazing for him. And this is where I think the the focus of the lesson is. The first thing that that person says who's there with a drawn sword, it says, well, neither. I'm not for you and I'm not against you. I'm not for them and I'm not against them. And this is a great time because of the NFL football playoffs. I've got friends who are San Francisco 49er fan fanatics. You, you, you cut their, 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 their arm and they bleed, 49ers. But I've got some friends who've never had that privilege with the Seattle Seahawks before. But they are fans now because they can smell the potential of great success. And it's amazing because friends that I have that root for either team are massive Christians. Well, when I watch their posts on Facebook, I'm thinking, man, where's your faith? They all think that God's got to be on their side. God's got to be with their team. But this is one of those verses that comes to my mind when you think, man, who's God for? Neither. He's for the, he's for the team in Houston that didn't even make it. That's who he's for. I love this passage of scripture because all of a sudden Joshua is shocked with God's response through his representative here that it's very likely the personification of Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state. I know that sounds theologically like kind of a lot of gibberish, but it seems like that's a real strong possibility because of what happens. As Joshua hears about who this person is, it's really quite amazing. As commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And there's great potential here, the presence of Jesus Christ before Joshua. Joshua's starting to sense something that he needs to do, not draw his sword, not continue with his pursuit to challenge, not to take on this individual and fight him, not to overcome this individual as a threat to his people. But everything shifts to a spiritual nature. I don't know if you can sense here that in Joshua's life, he gives to us this very powerful example How quick are we to not only use the instincts we have in leadership and influence that God's given us in the amazing positions that all of us have, but also can we switch quickly and recognize when God brings into our presence a spiritual confrontation for us. He removes us from the confrontation in the world, and he gives to us this great sense where we must now respond to him and not take initiative in the world situation in which we are in. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence. Such a powerful statement here of Joshua's particular response. And the angel who's here as a commander of the army of the Lord does not dissuade Joshua from this act of worship. 
And that's what gets theologians and Bible scholars and Bible students from all the ages who've looked at this passage and suggest, well, there's one thing in the Bible that we know that's always true about God. He deserves worship, and he alone exclusively can receive it. And whenever it is given, he never refuses it. But if an angel receives worship, the angel quickly says, no, no, no. Don't give it to me. I am simply a messenger. Or if the apostles receive it from other people because of their great work, they say, oh, no, no, no. We are just messengers of God. But when this commander, this individual, receives the worship that Joshua gives him, there is no sense of denying it and nothing but receptivity for it. One of the most remarkable things about this passage of Scripture when, uh, that's, when the, the Bible comes to us through this uh, right relationship that is focused here is Joshua asks the Lord with real humility, what message does my Lord have for his servant? This is, to me, the powerful lesson that we have for our minds today as we think about how in the world we take a passage of Scripture like this and take it with us wherever we're going to go. That if God has called us and directed us to where we are, he promises to be with us. In the Scripture, there is a very powerful promise repeated in the book of Hebrews where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the language of the scripture, it is a threefold negative. I will never, under any circumstance, for any reason, abandon you. And that passage of scripture gives us a very powerful picture to remember because it's like throwing somebody in a big culvert where there's no way to get out, climb out, and there's no one there who knows that they're present to give them any assistance. They're stuck there. They're abandoned there. That's what the word means. And God, through Jesus Christ, says he will never do that. He'll never abandon us, never leave us under any circumstance. He will never, ever leave us alone. Now, if we go into wherever God is leading us, that whatever our occupation might be, or whatever our responsibility of leadership might be, or wherever we think we have influence or impact in the lives of people, if we know for sure God has us there, God will not leave us alone. That is that powerful lesson that God is now giving Joshua as he stands there and looks at this massively fortified city by himself, as every leader does, feeling the weight of responsibility and wondering maybe in his own mind, will I lead well? The lives of all these people are depending upon me. In that moment of thought, God comes with his son, Jesus, in his pre-incarnate state and says, take off your sandals. For now that you've crossed into enemy territory, do not fear, because even the ground you stand on, which everyone else thinks is enemy territory, this is holy ground. This is ground that I claim for you. This is ground that I claim for the people. I promise you that everywhere you step, I will give you that land. And now the land that you're standing on, this is your example that I leave with you. My presence will be with you as I am here now, as you anticipate this great battle to ensue. Now, this great promise here is such a powerful rendition that it doesn't, uh, it takes away all the surprise now for all of us who have been in positions of responsibility to say, this is not weird to have these three verses injected here. This is all about leadership. It's all about responsibility. It's all about God reaffirming a promise that he has given 
his faithful servant. I will never leave you. I will always be with you. And just in case you forgot, that's why I've sent my son here to reaffirm that promise. Now you think about those words that we are using with this lesson. Reaffirm assumes there was a pre-existing relationship of dependence, calling, being sent for the responsibilities at hand. Gentlemen, before we can ever claim that God needs to be with us with all the heavy responsibilities on our shoulders, we've got to make sure that that was established first. That God's calling in my life and my commitment to Him for whatever I'm doing, whatever position I have, whatever, whatever the job title might be, this God is from you and I accept it as your calling and direction in my life and I will honor you with my service in this position no matter what it is. I will model for everyone around me what Jesus Christ would be like if he was in this position. They will see the incarnated Jesus Christ in my life because my Christology, my belief in who Jesus Christ is, is I will mimic him. And if he calls me to this job in this position, I will show all these people what Christ would be like if he were here in my shoes. That's what God is doing through his son Jesus, even for Joshua right here. It is an amazing phenomenon to have that to draw upon when we have difficult and overwhelmingly heavy moments in life. To reaffirm God's presence, his calling, his direction in my life. So take off those sandals. Your feet are touching ground that I have promised to give you. Because everywhere you step, that will be something I will give to you. Uh, there was a, a time in my life when I remember uh, that I, I almost always fall back to in my, in my personal times when I'm going back to think about huge responsibilities and deals in my life. Uh, I was uh, back in uh, Bible college, and uh, during my senior year, the, the dean of men decided that we all needed to retreat, and that was going to be something he would establish as a tradition. So we, we took all the men who were graduating that year, and he, he led us up to this place called Silver Falls State Park in Oregon. And uh, it was just absolutely a gorgeous place to go. And, of, of course, this was his first year as Dean of Men, so we were really nice to him uh, with uh, some anticipated uh, activities that we had in mind. So we got all the activities going, and we had a nice big meal. And, boy, oh, boy, by the time he came for sleeping, he was really tired. So we made sure he had the most comfortable place to sleep in this great big room and off in the corner as far from the door exit as possible. And, when he was sound asleep and snoring away, we, we knew that we had now our permission to, to launch our activities. So all of us, we all snuck out of that big room, and we didn't make a sound. I, I was so proud of all of our guys. And we had a curfew, but, you know, we were Christians. We knew that we could confess this later, and God would forgive us. <laughs> you know, good theology gives anticipation a great blessing. So we snuck out of there, and we took two cars, and, and all about there were about 25 of us. We piled into a couple of cars and pushed them out of the parking lot so it wouldn't make any noise until we got far enough away from the lodge. And then we started the engine, and then we drove down to the main parking lot where these falls were. And, of course, the place is closed, and there are no lights. And this place is, I mean, it is pitch dark. So we got together, we thought, man, we got out of there, it was great, and they were successful, and now we're going to go see the falls now in the middle of the night, and no crowds, and someone says, yeah, anybody bring a light? Total silence. You know, 25 guys, pitch dark, out here in the wilderness, 
And, and someone, so, someone said, hey, I got a light. It was all great. We all kind of felt this relief. It was one of those two AA pen light fast flashlights. And one guy said, hey, I, I've got a 15-minute emergency flare. And that was it for 25 guys. So he said, oh, yeah, well, we'll make it. No problem. So we were going down in the trail up on the top of the falls where the parking, the parking lot is. It's really nice and the asphalt and it's very well marked. But the closer you get to the cliff, the less the trail becomes very significant. In fact, the, it becomes very narrow. The asphalt's breaking up. It's all cracked. There's no fence anymore. There's just a metal rail. I remember us going down these switchbacks in pitch darkness. The only light was, was ahead was the guy who had the flashlight. They were saving the 15-minute flare because it was only 15 minutes long. So we're all kind of trusting each other as we're going down this. It was so dark. And, of course, the waterfall throws all this mist over everything. The rail is slippery. The ground is slippery. You're slipping off the asphalt that you can hardly see. And I remember one guy muttering, ah, we're going to all flip off this cliff. We're going to fall over. We're all going to die. And my mom's really going to be mad at me. We kind of all chuckle, but then we all stop chuckling because you ever notice that when guys are together and everyone's terrified, they're to- totally silent? Every once in a while, someone says something funny and everyone's sort of, ah, then they're quiet again because they're <laughs> concentrating on not dying. I, I remember that moment. And I remember how exhausted I was as we were getting closer to the falls and it was thunderously loud. The water's coming over this cliff and you actually go behind the falls. The trail goes behind the falls here, down on this trail. And when you get behind the falls, this is what it looks like. You look up and the falls are coming over the cliff. But we were doing this in the middle of the night. It was pitch dark. I, none of us enjoyed the trip down until we got to, to be right behind the falls here, right over here. And we've seen this view, pitch dark, and all of a sudden, one of the guys says, Hey, look! And we all looked up into the sky, which was now lit up with all these stars. And just the ambient light from the stars was sparkling through all the water that was coming over the cliff. Had to be one of the most spectacular sights that captured our attention, especially after getting down through this death-defying crawl thinking that we're going to die and our moms are all going to be mad at us. We're going to probably get back and the dean's going to kick us out of school for, for being beyond curfew. And all these worries that we had, all of a sudden someone says, hey, look, and you're captured by this magnificent portrait of God's creation. And then one of the guys started singing, and we all joined in as we saw this beautiful skyscape of all these stars sparkling through the water that was splashing over this thunderous, immense waterfall. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. That has been a moment in my life that has followed me wherever God has led me for ministry. And whenever I face an issue that is either people or circumstantially overwhelming, that's going to be confrontational, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hugely challenging. And I spend those few moments as a leader, as an impact individual, thinking, God, you've made me a promise. I know what it's like to have you in my life. Thank you for that moment way back then when I could sing with my brothers 
about your presence in our life in all of this creation. And I thank you for being there to reaffirm your presence in my life today as I face these major responsibilities. You know, gentlemen, can you imagine what it would be like if the people that we are influencing watch us this next seven days? As they sense something about us, that there's this power that directs us. There's this calm and certainty that directs our lives. And when those people are going through times of crisis, they're going to say, what, what is it about you that gives you this calm and certainty? And it's those moments when we can sit down very quietly and smile and say, I want to tell you about someone that I met long ago. It's meant so much to me, and it makes a whole difference in how my life is today. And his name is Jesus Christ, and let me tell you about him. If each one of us is able to influence two or three people in the next seven days, and in those days that are coming by, somebody that we know that we are influencing is going to have a crisis. And they have been watching us for a long time. And they've been sensing something about us for a long time. And now that they're up against it, they're going to reach out to someone that they think might have a clue. How in the world do I get through this difficult time? Gentlemen, you're going to have a great time at the table talk today. Think about this lesson as we've discussed it. Consider the life of Joshua and the presence of God promised him that is now being reaffirmed just before he goes into this major battle. Have a great time at your table talk. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.